0: We now turn to our Old Testament and the sermon text in the book of Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And those who were descendants of Jacob were seventy persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel." So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. And their service, in which they made them all their service, in which they made them serve, was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other Puah, and he said. When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Let us pray. great God... We come to this summary, first of all, of the wonderful blessing upon your covenant people, and also the terrible opposition, deceit, and slavery and murder of this great enemy of your people. And Lord, how we pray that you might open this word to us, that it might do us much good, that you'd bless it for your own name's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're just come now to our second in this new series in the book of Exodus. Last time we spoke of that amazing picture of church growth of the long list of words that were used to express just how much these people were blessed in the land despite every opposition actually they just continued to multiply exceedingly and we're thankful for it. But we notice that this amazing growth brought with it also fear. On the part of this Pharaoh, this Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, who would become the great enemy of Israel, and so now let us speak more of this enemy. Now, in Exodus, I, you probably know that Pharaoh um, is is a type or picture of Satan. Now, the one, the particular Pharaoh that we meet here in the beginning is not actually the same that we meet in the main part when Moses comes back when he's 80 years old, nor is it, in all likelihood, the one that we meet very briefly in the middle, when Mo- when Moses is 40 years old, just before he leaves. But the t- the office, the type, the behavior, the picture is is all in perfect continuity. In fact, actually, of those three, no proper name is given to any of them. They did have such names, and and scholars have their opinions as to which ones match up with these various times. But they're just, in God's word, they're just known as Pharaoh. We know the two Hebrew midwives names, Pua and Shipra, but we do not know the names of the Pharaohs. They're all treated as, as a class and as a, a, as a one who is the great enemy of the Lord's people. Now, that being the case, what can we say that, that Pharaoh and all that he did has in common with Satan. Well again, in larger terms, we have to remember that the whole Exodus, this whole Exodus story is is what we call a microcosm of the work of redemption, meaning it's a model. It's something constrained in time and space, but it actually points to the whole big picture, some microcosm of redemption. And every part of it matches up with some counterpart in the larger spiritual redemption. You know, um, for instance, going, leaving some place that's, that's bad and going into a promised land, that is our situation, and leaving this world and going to the new heavens and the new earth. And, and, of course, it's all done by a redeemer sent by God. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. And So Moses is a type of Christ, and we see these things throughout. It's just on every page. But that means, therefore, that somebody's got to play the part of Satan, right? And absolutely, that's... That's Pharaoh, and specifically in a recent Bible study in First John, I spoke of the three characteristics of the works of the devil. Right, Christ came to destroy these works. What are these works? Well, I mentioned deceit, slavery, and murder. And what you know, that's exactly what we find Pharaoh up to in Exodus. So this title, uh, this sermon is titled "A Picture of Satan." Now, of course, I think we understand that such a sermon is not edifying on its own. How could it be? Um, We don't hold Satan aloft to to learn from him. But it's edifying in that it tells us of the greatness of the salvation of Christ. That's what we're saved by. So A, just learning something more about our enemy tells us more about the greatness of salvation. B, it's also helpful that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. That's the thing that... That Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. But unfortunately, I think we sometimes are ignorant of his devices, and therefore the more we learn of him, the better we're equipped, actually, to deal with it. He studies us. You understand that. He absolutely studies us to know how he can get the advantage against us, and we're very often ignorant of his devices. You no, know, we, should, we should learn uh, things about <laughs> our enemy. And see, we can't forget what's said in Romans 9.17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So in this picture of of Satan, the more we learn about him, we, we learn about the sovereignty of God in raising him up in order that God's power might be shown in him. Right? Again, if this enemy were trivial, if this enemy were ineffectual, if this enemy were were, uh, unintelligent or not cunning or those sorts of things, then God wouldn't be glorified in his destruction. But God is glorified. We should learn of this enemy. All the more so, of course, with Satan. So, Pharaoh, a picture of Satan. That's our title. These three points, very easy. Deceit, slavery, and murder. First of all, deceit it says in verse 10, come, this is Pharaoh speaking, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Now notice a picture that's painted here. Now, in point of fact, the Israelites were a peaceful people. And in point of fact, actually, the Egyptians owed them a debt that they could never repay. That was part of their problem. They had utterly forgotten the debt that they owed because of Joseph. They would have all been reduced to utter poverty and nothing, just like all the other nations around, except God had sent Joseph to do this great work by which they, they came to such great prominence and survived the great famine that was, was then And in fact, some of the mechanisms that made them even greater as a people in terms of their taxation and the ownership of the land and all the rest of these things were put in place by Joseph. But they had forgotten about that. No, they're portrayed as a dangerous people that needed to be acted against swiftly and drastically. Now, incidentally, that's been the way ever since. You know, Esther 3.8, in another situation of God's people facing persecution, Haman said to king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your, land, your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, that a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries." that brothers and sisters is a story that has been repeated in history that for whatever reason people in government sometimes imagine christians to be great enemies that should be dealt with in the most swift and harsh way imaginable no debt to the christian church is ever acknowledged even though western society would not exist apart from it and everything good and distinctive about it the reason why other people from other religions and so forth come to christian lands precisely because of things that that christianity uh, has given to it if god has given to it through the bible indirectly and yet we're painted as if we're highly dangerous in need of some swift and immediate permanent action well, the thing that Pharaoh proposes in the light of this false picture, he's already dealing deceitfully in painting such a picture of a peaceful people, is that they deal shrewdly with him. Now, the word in self is, is neutral. It could just mean wisely. But, of course, when wicked men intend to do some evil, they portray it as it were, as if it were just mere wisdom. Anyhow, we see the nature of what he intends. Obviously, he's going to deal with them deceitfully. Because, look, if they were guilty of some crime, he's Pharaoh. So if they actually have been seditious, if they actually have been uh, cavorting with the enemy and seeking to bring destruction, if they have some plans, come invade Egypt and we'll help you, well, great, bring the evidence. There's magistrates, there's soldiers to deal with this, and that should have been done. It could have easily, but no, none of that's true. So he has to deal with them uh, underhandedly, and that's what he proposes to do. So he, he brings the midwives, their own midwives, the Hebrew midwives, and he, he then is, is inciting them um, to do something terrible. In the guise of helping the people, using their, their health care workers, in the guise of that, he instead purposes to kill their children. Now that's pretty deceitful, isn't it? Pretty deceitful. So that the people, when their child was being born, they would call this, this midwife too, that had the secret purpose of killing their child. That's deceitfulness. And so in Acts 7:19, when Stephen is explaining the history of God's people, he says, "This man Pharaoh, dealt treacherously with our people, and that's very true, treacherously. That's Pharaoh, and that, of course, is just like Satan. He has no legitimate authority over us. He has no legitimate way to, to, to deal, deal openly with us. And so the only, look, the only thing he could say openly and truthfully is, Hi, uh, I'm Lucifer. I'm an evil demon. I, I hate you. And I seek to destroy you eternally. Uh, please, please sin against God so that I can win. Th- that's it. That's about all that he could say to us. And who's going to listen to that? Of course, he can't do that. No one would listen to him. And so instead, he's got to be cunning. And in Genesis 3, 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning, more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He's got to be that. And he goes on. He, he went about speaking these deceitful things to Eve, deceiving her into doing the one thing that God had told her not to do, knowing that it would kill her. And Adam, too. And this is what is said, of course, in John 8, 44. You, speaking of the Pharisees and their lies and their false teachings, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. It says he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is Pharaoh's deceit, and it's all a picture of the deceit of Satan. Let us not forget when we consider our enemy that he never deals in an upfront way, he always deals deceitfully and cunningly. Secondly, slavery. And verse 11: Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities of Pitom and Ramses. Now we come to this very suddenly, and sometimes we read this in retrospect, as if, and you, so we might not catch it. But you understand this is a new development. The, the people of Israel were not always slaves. They were, a, again, an honored guest, invited to live in Goshen, the very best land. And so this new pharaoh has suddenly enslaved a people who were previously free. And this slavery, of course, is of a very extreme kind, with much affliction and many burdens to bear. Now, where have we we've seen that again? And I, I hope that we never imagine that any part of Christianity is about burdens, Okay, whenever I speak to you of duty, it is not about these kind of burdens. Christ came that would, for just for those who are burdened. Come those who are, are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he says to us. Christianity is religion that takes away burdens. Christ criticizes the, 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 the Pharisees for laying burdens on people that they were unwilling to bear. And he says, no, I'm the one who's going to bear the burdens of these people. Pharaoh puts those burdens on them, these burdens that are hard to bear. And the slavery only gets worse because we know in verse 12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So they've got to get worse on this. They were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field, all their service in which they made them serve us with rigor, made their lives bitter, with hard bondage. Let me just say in the middle of this, um, I mentioned last time that the enemy, they're in dread of the people of God as we see them growing. And I I want us to keep in in mind that um, we therefore as the Lord blesses us and enables us to grow in in one way or another, that we actually should expect opposition to increase. Uh, This is is part of the situation. You certainly imagine that had the people, uh, had his minor things succeeded, his sort of low-key amount, which we imagine something like, uh, maybe three, out of, three months out of the year you need to come build the slave cities, or maybe uh, two out of five people need to come build the slave cities. Had that worked and the people have been on a decline or on, stayed where they were, that, that might have been all the affliction that they experienced. But just because God continued to bless them, they grew in the midst of that, he had to crank up the opposition, and therefore we should keep that in mind. Well, again, this is just like Satan. He absolutely enslaves us. That's the thing. Uh, 1 John five nineteen. we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Do they know it? No. Do they acknowledge it? No. Because the one who's enslaved them is so cunning and crafty, he does not speak openly to them. But absolutely, they are under his thumb. They cannot help but do his wicked will. They are enslaved to the evil one. Now, isn't it wonderful what it says in Matthew twelve twenty four with regard to slavery? Now, when this is, uh, uh, of course, the Lord was casting out uh, demons which follow Satan, and when the Pharisees heard it, they said, "This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons," meaning that they're in, somehow in league together. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. But then how will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, whom whom do your sons cast them out by? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And here's the illustration. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. Well, what is he talking about? He's not talking about valuables that he's there to plunder. He's talking about the souls of men and women that he's there to rescue. The strong man has taken them captive. They are in his castle. And Christ has come to break down the wall, break down the door, and to release those captives. Because he's the stronger man and he can do that. It's a beautiful reality. So even as we look at the terrible nature of the slavery that Satan uh, has uh, put people under and that the people of God were in in Egypt under Pharaoh, we're reminded that this is very much one of the works of the devil that Christ came to undo. Well, so there is deceit. There is slavery, and thirdly, there is murder, because these things are not enough. And It gets worse and worse. In verse 15, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shipra and the other was Puah, and he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. Well, I should say, uh, of course, this is a wonderful uh, story of the the midwives. It's a sermon to itself, really. I I may yet uh, preach on this. I don't know. Um, But this is is the plan, to kill their children, or at least their males, in a deceitful way, not to meet them in open combat on the battlefield. Apparently, the the fear extended to not wanting to do that for some reason or another. I, I don't know why that is. But to do this deceitfully, to kill their children at least they're males, until there's, there's none left of the covenant people. Now let me just say that this is, of course, just like Satan's plan. His deceit and his slavery are only prelude, are only building up to the real intent behind it, which is to kill us, right? So it's not deceit, it's just, ah, funny, you know, just, just kidding, or, you know, got you to do this, and, and, and there, that's the end of it. It's not just slavery because he wants to profit. Yes, Satan does profit as we serve him. And isn't it sad to think of all the, the years that some of us have served Satan and he has profited from us and not the Lord and how we would not at all desire to do that anymore. We want, we want the Lord to profit from our, our labor, not, not our enemy. But um, let me just say that this is all prelude, as I say, to murder. I'll read that part that I didn't read in John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him, and when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. That's the idea. He was a a murderer, and his lies are there in order to bring about the death of the people he speaks these lies to. And he knows it good and well. Now, in all this, It's not just, generally speaking, absolutely, he's there, he's murdering everybody. He is out there speaking lies to this whole world. Even as he gives them that satanic catechism, and some of us the other day were trying to come up with a a list, it seems like every godless person, every unbelieving person that we ever interact with always knows these particular objections to the Christian faith, always has these particular excuses, all of them, we call it the satanic catechism. They all seem to know it. And Satan has a way somehow transmitting it, perhaps to the media. I don't know. Well, anyways, those those people, when they believe these lies, that is sealing their fate that they will will die and they will die eternally. And so he's murdering all those. And the blood, don't forget, the blood even of, of unbelievers is going to be on the hands of Satan in the end because he has absolutely been instrumental in their destruction. But his anger and his craft are particularly directed against the covenant people of God. Far more so. He, he takes that as a given. That all the unbelieving people are given into his hands. But God's people, those are the ones he's really going after. Revelation 12. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, that's Satan. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. It's, it's the church. The seed of the woman, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's us, the church, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's, you want to know our enemy? What does he look like? What what kind of face does he have towards us? He knows about us, and he's enraged against us. That is his heart towards God's people. He has malice towards all, but particularly towards the people of God. He hates us and seeks to destroy us in any way that that he can get away with. But just to complete this story in Exodus 1, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. That's not much, in some sense, is true. For they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. And so Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. So that the deceitful plan, that murderous plan, moves from working through the midwives now to a more open Uh, way in which he's commanding his people to go and murder uh, in a more open way the people of God this is Satan at work and when we see it in these physical terms it reminds us you see that's the usefulness of this type that's the usefulness of the microcosm we get a picture of Satan and and I can tell you that he has murderous intent and I can tell you of all of his lies and so the rest of it but isn't it useful to see it as it were him in operation uh, typified in this Pharaoh as he goes and he is deceitful He's making plots and plans with his people to, to, to bring about a downfall He's enslaving people making them slaves and serving with rigor and with hard bondage And then also to kill them in various ways That's a picture of our enemy Satan Now how do we apply this to ourselves? I have these four applications The first one is to be saved from Satan's clutches. If you're here apart from faith in Christ, this is your situation in life. You live in Egypt, and you're absolutely under the thumb of an evil Pharaoh who has put you to hard, hard labor. Now, as I say, look... The, the, the central definition of the human problem is that we are sinners before a holy and just God. And that is our biggest, most central problem. And everything else, as it were, pales in comparison to the fact that we are sinners before a holy God. And we, will, we are accountable to him. And if we're apart from Christ, then, then he will judge us. That's the issue in the next life. But to add to it, to add to that picture, to add to that problem, you, as I say, are enslaved to do the will of an evil being who wants to kill you and take you with him to the pit. And therefore, know that God has sent Jesus Christ to deliver us from this one, to to deliver you, to save you from the clutches of this, your great enemy. What a marvelous God who does this. We're going to see later in this picture of redemption that the Lord remembered his people. That the Lord heard the cries of these slaves and he sent a redeemer to go, to go save them. And you say, wouldn't it be wonderful if he'd do that? Now, well, he has. Precisely he has. He has heard the sound of those who are in slavery to this wicked Satan. And he has sent a redeemer to save you. That's what he's done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved from Satan's clutches. You know, that I mentioned uh, in as I was reading Acts 26 for the, the New Testament reading, to turn them from the power of Satan to God. That's a wonderful aspect of the gospel. Be saved from Satan's clutches. Secondly, fear God. You know, so here's the plan. Here's this wicked man. He's in total control of this country. You know, not like our politicians today. You know, sometimes I wonder why we crumble so easily. These and they're, not, they're not absolute despots who can kill you as soon as look at you, as we, we had in the ancient Near East, okay? A little bit different than that. We don't need to be shaking in our boots. Uh, and and these, these midwives, they had their orders from them, and they disobeyed them. And the answer was because they feared God, right? They feared God. These orders plainly and absolutely contradicted the eternal word of God in a matter of great seriousness. It entailed murder, of course, at the very, very top of that second table of the law, and and they couldn't do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I I know midwives, some of them. And they're not bold, pugnacious people just itching for a fight, at least not the ones that I I know of. Um, Quite the opposite And brothers and sisters, here's my my simple point on that, okay? If they can do it, we can do it, right? If these poor, meek, little midwives of, of the Hebrews could stand up to wicked Pharaoh when they were commanded to do something contrary to the word of God, we can do it too, okay? Fear God, not man. If we are told to do something that plainly contradicts the word of God, we have a choice. We don't have to comply. We can entrust ourselves to the living God who is able to, to do all. He's able to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, from the fiery furnace. He's able to grant to these midwives their own uh, uh, children and families. And he's able, he knows how to rescue his people one way or another. Thirdly, I would say specifically to pray against abortion. You know, um, again, the idea, isn't it, is crazy. It's something that could only happen in the barbarous ancient Middle East uh, that healthcare workers who are there killing children if they get a chance, sponsored and incited by the government. No way that that could happen today! Or is it? Or is that precisely what goes on today an abortion holocaust tens of thousands of unborn babies being killed in our places of health care in our hospitals our surgeries today we need to pray against this great evil fourthly and finally let us that the Lord's Supper is here to remind us of redemption. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of our redemption. You know, this this sacrament of the Lord's Table, it is a fulfillment of the Passover, isn't it? It's a fulfillment of the Passover when they were rescued. They were rescued, first of all, yes, from the the wrath of God whom ultimately they had to deal with and the, the angel of death. And it was through the, the, the shed blood of the innocent lamb by which they were saved from that. But also, and as a part, as a piece of that, they were also saved from the clutches of Satan. It was their great redemption. They were saved from the one in which they were, to whom they were enslaved. And then we have, they had this Passover that they might remember that they had been saved and rescued from that. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember all that we have been rescued from. We have been let loose from a terrible prison. We were there in darkness and slavery and God and his goodness came and set us free. And this supper is a a reminder of many things. Yes, of course, of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and that he's coming again. We do this. We remember his death until he come. We're reminded of all the things that this accomplished, our freedom from this wicked tyrant of Satan. And let's remember this as we come to it. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good to an undeserving people, and you have wrought a great salvation as you wrought for the people of Egypt. This amazing, amazing work, Lord, just even a microcosm, not even a fraction of what you accomplished through Christ, this once and for all redemption. We're thankful he is a strong man. As we have looked at this picture of Satan, our great enemy, through the, through the pharaohs of Egypt, Heavenly Father, we are thankful that he is much stronger than Satan. We are thankful, Lord, that in his work we might be saved from his clutches. And, Lord, we do pray that you'd enable us to remember these things, to be mindful of them, to carry on spiritual warfare as we ought to, and, Lord, that we'd be at least as, as faithful these midwives, that we would fear God, and, Lord, that we'd rather die than sin. But, Heavenly Father, we are, and we pray particularly, of course, against this great evil of abortion. And, Lord, for all other such things, we ask, Lord, that you might bring a great work of reformation and revival in this day. Heavenly Father, how we pray. Lord, that we would now celebrate and be thankful we are your people as we partake of this Lord's Supper, that we would be very thankful for being delivered from such a horrible tyrant. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.